Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All right, so it is right there in green and white. Uh, right now, if you, uh, if, some of us don't do this anymore, but if you're carrying cash, I want you to just pull out a dollar bill, or maybe you're like really doing well. Pull out a hundred dollar bill, because uh, you know offerings coming later anyway. So pull out a hundred dollar bill. But right there in green and white, or it, maybe you just got change. It doesn't matter if it's silver, if it's copper, if it's gold, if it's nickel. Uh, although y'all do know that none of that stuff really is in all those, okay, but but it's right there on them. It's burned into them. Just look at it. You can find it everywhere. It's a statement of trust right there, burned into our currency. It's right there. It is a statement of reliance. It is a statement of dependence. It says right on all of our money, in God we trust, right? So, uh, but I wonder sometimes if maybe... Uh, even though it's there as a reminder, and even though it is on every piece of our currency, I wonder if maybe we have come to this place where we have removed God out of the equation, and we've placed a blank there, and we fill it with so many things. All I've got to do uh, this morning is, um, in a service like this, in a Pentecostal church like this, all I got to do is, is I just got to, all I got to do is read Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, which says this, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And all of a sudden, everybody goes, amen, and nod their heads and get all excited. But what I've come to uh, understand is that even though we proclaim trust, with all the teaching that we have received about the fact that God loves a cheerful giver, and with all the teaching that we've received that teaches us that what we sow, we reap, and all the teaching that we've received that says it is more blessed to give than to receive, what I want to submit to you this morning is that it seems to me that we have trust issues. Uh, I think I can prove it to you, okay? Buckle up! It's going to see some of y'all. I, 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 some of y'all were worshiping good until you're okay. Just buckle on up because it's going to get it's going to get a little rough in here before okay. Because I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to tell you. All right, only three percent of Americans give to a church, and in Protestant and evangelical churches, which we are a part of, did you know that the average giving per person in America? Hold on. The average person in a Protestant or an evangelical church in America gives, on average, $17 a week. All right, so get your, I know I can't do math in my head anymore because electronics have ruined me forever. I used to be able to add pretty quick. Now I can't even do 2 plus 2. I have to get the calculator out. You get the calculator out and do the math. 17 times 4 
and then multiply that out and figure out what that if that's 10%, which we'll talk about next week, if that's 10%, then you tell me what the average Christian in America is saying by their giving what they live on every month. So for all of our all of our talk and all of our affirmation about trusting in the Lord, there is absolutely little to no proof of that when it comes down to how we handle our finances. Man, it's quiet in here. See, we have trust issues. And those trust issues are never more apparent than, uh, or, or really never more glaringly absent as far as trust goes than when we start talking about our wallets because we get nervous. I, I declare to you today that, and, and, and you just, I'm just going to be blunt, okay, I'm, have I ever been anything but? I'm just going to be really blunt this morning, all right? I just want to be blunt enough to you to say this, is that if you don't trust him in all, then you don't trust him at all. In all. You either trust him in all or you don't trust him at all. And what I want to do this morning, I, I am very intentionally going to try to, which I also do this quite often, I guess, but I'm going to try to challenge you uh, to, to not leave, leave here thinking everything is hunky-dory and just sweep it under the carpet and think we're doing all right. I need to challenge you in the area of your trust. I want you to learn to trust God, to do more than just shout when somebody says, we trust in the name of the Lord, to do more than just look on your currency and see it say it there, but you don't really mean it. I want us to challenge whether we really trust God or not. So I want you to join me in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read a very familiar portion of Scripture this morning uh, and uh, see, see if it has some new revelation for us. It's interesting to me how many people that say they trust God and everything lay out on a Sunday that we know we're going to talk about money. We'll see. We'll see after second service. It becomes apparent, all right? Uh, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him over for a meal. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down at, din at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, that's an important piece of information there, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet weeping, raining tears on his feet, letting down her hair, which she wasn't supposed to do in public, by the way. She dried his feet, kissed them, anointed them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was the prophet I thought he was, he would have known what kind of woman this is who was falling all over him. Verse 44. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came to your home. He puts him on blast. At first it was just a Pharisee, but now he gives him his name. He says the name so we'll all know. It was Simon. Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. In the forgiveness, if the forgiveness is minimal, then the gratitude is minimal. I see, I know most of you know this account. I want to spend some time looking here uh, out of this account from the perspective of trust. Because I think what takes place here is that she teaches a graduate level course on trust for us. 
She really does. I, I want you to notice the first thing. I, the very first thing you need to understand is where she encounters Jesus. And you go back and read it for yourself sometime this afternoon. But, but let me just tell you if, you, if you didn't catch it, she encounters Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. I didn't make it up. That's what the word says. It says she went to a home of a Pharisee because she knew that Jesus was there. In other words, she encounters Jesus right in the midst of the who's who of all the religious leaders. I also want you to notice who got angry about how much she gave. Uh, because I, I, I need us to understand that it's the religious people in the room that got upset. In fact, if you go read this account in other uh, Gospels, what you discover is that in one particular instance, it even says that one of the disciples, mainly Judas, because he was a thief, gets angry that she does what she does and wastes the the anointing perfume that she places on Jesus' feet. I, I just need to show you that it's interesting to me that it's only the religious folks that tend to get uncomfortable and and I'll say it like I want to say it, like I've said it in the past, their sphincter muscle tightens up, all right? Some of y'all don't even know where that is, but I just know you got one, and I can feel it tighten up even when I even started talking. We get, religious folks get nervous when we will start talking about finances. Why is it that religious folks don't, don't have any problem with us talking about relationships, and they want advice on how to make their marriage successful, and religious folks want us to teach them how to parent, and they want us to teach us how to be uh, above and beyond in their job, in their workplace. They want us to talk about healing, and they want us to talk about all this stuff, but then we want to draw a line and say, well, the church should never talk about money, even though Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. It's the religious folks. I, I think the reason that is, I think the reason that religious folks are offended uh, by discussions about giving is it's, it's the religious folks that tend to have trust issues. Uh, this lady demonstrates for us trust. Let me, let me point some things out. I think that what she teaches us is, is, and demonstrates for us is that she trusted Jesus with her life. We, we, I've read this story all my life. I, I've known this story all my life, but I don't know if I've read it just like this. But now I've got a kind of a, a perspective that she's literally placing her life in Jesus' hands. You understand that, that she was a harlot. I, I mean, there's no, there's no way to get around that. It, the, the text tells us explicitly she was a harlot. She was the town prostitute. She was known. And she makes her way into a Pharisee's home to encounter Jesus. I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Scripture, but may I just point this out, even if you're very familiar, that Pharisees have a long-standing track record on how they treat women like this. In fact, uh, th this passage is an interesting passage because there are other accounts of it in the Gospels, and then there's some confusion because there's an account very similar to it, and it, we, we, we begin to wonder who it's about in John. Uh, in John chapter 12, th there's another account almost similar to it's just like this one, and we begin to ask questions. I don't know who's who and all of this. I just know that in this particular account, it teaches us that this woman was a harlot, and I just I just want to suppose. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. Um, in insert my own thoughts or feelings into Scripture, but let me just 
just suppose, just suppose that this is the same woman that the account in John chapter 12 that names that woman as Mary. Maybe it's the same woman, I don't know, but even if it's not, I wonder if maybe this woman trusted Jesus with her life because she had watched Jesus deal with another woman in John chapter 8, which was a woman who had been caught in adultery. And the Pharisees drag her out into the streets, not to wish her a good day, but to pick up rocks and beat her to death because of her sin. And she had watched Jesus intercept their intentions. She had watched Jesus send them away. She had watched Jesus step in and protect her. So maybe now this woman, even if it's not the same woman, maybe this woman is willing to walk into the midst of a home of people who have a track record of misuse and abuse and willingness to kill Maybe she was willing to do that and to ignore the snide remarks of the host because she had learned that Jesus would protect her. She apparently trusted that Jesus would not allow her to be mistreated. Perhaps we can uh, conclude then that she, uh, th- and I don't think it's any great leap of logic. I, I just think that we can conclude then that she had trust, she trust him with what she valued because she had already come to this place where she trusted him with her life. Uh, why is it then that uh, so many of us, so many of us, can trust Jesus with our salvation, but we can't trust him with our saving. Why is it that so many of us that call ourselves followers of Christ can trust him with our family, but we struggle when we start talking about this concept of of trusting him with our finances. I want to say this to you this morning. Trusting him with what you value is an indication that you have learned to trust him with your life. Don't claim you that you trust him with your life if you can't trust him with your paycheck. Because you either trust him in all or you don't trust him at all. Why do we struggle? This uh, lady's trust level went far beyond just her life. She also trusted Jesus with her future. Uh, this flask that she had uh, to destroy, you need to understand that uh, in, in that day, the, the perfume would have been placed into, uh, it calls it an alabaster, uh, we say box, but probably more uh, accurately a flask that had a seal over it. That uh, It's not like well, the seals we have that, you, you know, it wasn't a Ziploc where you could open it up and pour it out and zip it back and keep it. It was destroyed. She had to break off the wax seal, the neck of the bottle probably to, to empty that she she lays it out there. It was a valuable commodity. Uh, she trusted him with her future. Mark says, in, in the account that Mark gives, he says that the this flask that she destroyed was worth 300 denarii, which was a year's salary. Uh, one man tried to... Uh, there, there, there's some uh, differing opinions on it. It doesn't really matter to me. I just know it was valuable. Uh, the one I, I think probably is closest is that would translate to today uh, that this one bottle of perfume, check this out, was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of $54,000. 
when it's just perfume, you're like Dillard's for $39.99. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about $54,000 worth of value. She lays it out at Jesus' feet. That makes it valuable enough. But then most uh, commentaries understand that this wasn't just about how much it was worth that day. It was the fact that this, this flask of perfume also represented her entire future. Because very likely, listen guys, this was like her 401k. That she was like, this was everything she had in her retirement. This was everything. This was her nest egg. Most commentaries say that this was part of her dowry. In other words, if she pours this out on Jesus' feet, she has no ability now to be able to get married in the future because she has no ability to invest into that relationship, so no man will want. Okay, so, so then what, it's say, what she's saying is that, 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 that this was her most valuable possession, and it, it represented for her a different life. It represented her security in the future. It represented everything that she had to put her hope and her trust in. And here it is. She, without hesitation, breaks it and pours it out on Jesus' feet. I, I wonder how many of us, have graduated to this level of trust? Have we learned to trust him with today, but we refuse to offer him our future as a sacrifice of worship? I, I wonder if our fear about tomorrow keeps us to, to be untrusting today. So, so what she teaches us in a nutshell is this, is how we give today is an indication of our trust level regarding tomorrow. So if you pulled, I started to do it, and one of my pastor friends said, you better not, you make people mad. I said, well, I don't seem to have a problem, problem with that. So, uh, but I, I wanted to print out giving statements for the year. Because I, not, not to try to guilt you into something, but for us to have a, a black and white statement to, to, to make us ask this question, if you take my giving statement for the year, if you look all through my bank accounts this year, if you look in my checkbook this year, if you look at any, any record of, of, of giving, charitable giving to a, a, what I call my church home, would it indicate at all that I really actually trust Jesus with my future? Or would it say that you think it's better for you to hold on to what you've got because you might need it? Which then is an indication that you don't really trust him with your future. You've come to the conclusion that you can handle your future better than the one that already lives into tomorrow. How is it that we struggle? See, I don't, listen to me, I don't think Jesus has any, and I, and I would suggest this, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this, I do not think that Jesus has any issue with savings. I don't think Jesus has any issues with 401ks. I don't think Jesus has any, anything against retirement. I don't think Jesus has anything against 501ks, which I don't even know if they exist. I'm just throwing it out there as an option. I don't think he's against IRAs, MRAs, NRAs, QRAs, SPAs. I don't think he's against any of it. See how much financial wisdom I have? But I do think what Jesus is against is this. I think he's against us taking his name out of the blank and replacing it with statements like this. In my stocks, I trust. In my retirement, I trust. 
in my own ability to secure my future, I trust. I trust myself more than I trust him. Here's the truth. We will put our money where our God is. You say, well, that's not even scriptural. Yes, it is. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. That's scriptural. There's an account of um, John Wesley. John Wesley was a famous uh, preacher. Many of the, the, the tenets of the church today we've, we've secured through his teaching and his legacy. I, I found an interesting account about John Wesley that John Wesley uh, determined early on in his life that uh, as he began his public ministry that he would live on 28 pounds. Okay, so he lived in England, so it's a little bit different currency. It doesn't really matter. 28 pounds, that he would live on 28 pounds all year long. His first, yeah, that's not very much money. His first year in ministry, he made 30 pounds. So he was only able to give two pounds. His second year of ministry, his income doubled. So he would, since he said, I will be able to live on 28 pounds, or I choose to live on 28 pounds, he was able to give 32 pounds. And it continued every year of his life until late in his life we discover that John Wesley was making thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds every year and yet he still lived on 28 pounds and gave the rest away. This is why he said, I believe that God's blessings should result in raising our standard of giving, not our standard of living. It's quiet up in here. So are we more committed to our lifestyle than we are to our Savior? This lady pours out her entire future at Jesus' feet because she was more concerned about worshiping him than she was about securing her own future. She gave an indication of how much she trusted Jesus with her future by what she gave today. So, I want to ask you this morning, do you have a trust issue? Do you have trust issues? And if you do, then, and you say, well, this is just, that's just a, that's just a New Testament account. I don't really, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't relate to that. Then, then maybe this morning, um, if you won't take the, the word or the example of a, of, of a woman who poured out the perfume on Jesus' feet, maybe you'll take a living example standing in front of you. Because I have come to this conclusion. I, I can say like Isaiah said in chapter 12, verse 2, he says this. He says, yes, indeed, God is my salvation. I trust him. I won't be afraid, God. Yes, God is my strength and song. Listen, and best of all, he's my salvation. So I stand here today as a living testimony to you of the, these facts right here. I have come to this place in my own life where I trust God with my salvation. Most of you would attest to the same fact that you recognize that you can't save yourself, so you need a Savior. So I've trusted Him with my salvation. So if I can trust Him with the most important thing in life, which is my salvation, then certainly I've come to this place where I learned that I can also trust Him with the rest of my life. And I can trust Him, since I can trust Him with my life, I can trust Him with my tomorrow. And if I can trust him with my tomorrow, then I've learned I can trust him with what I value. I can take this rest in my own heart that I can take everything I value, the most valuable things in my life, and I can lay them at Jesus' feet because I trust him to handle them appropriately.
the, the final lesson that this woman gives us and she reveals this to us is that our trust is not only revealed in how we handle what we value, but it is, an all, it is also an indication of our level of gratitude. Because this is going to be heavy. Jesus makes a startling statement. He says, if forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So maybe you maybe you take you've uh, come to the uh, 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 the assertion that you don't have that much to be thankful for you for. Maybe you weren't all messed up like I was all messed up, and maybe maybe your life wasn't all marked up by sin, and maybe maybe you were perfect. Maybe you came out perfect. I don't know. Maybe when the doctors started to slap you, went, oh no, they're too perfect to slap, and 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 so maybe you you came out glowing and holy. But for the rest of us, we've come to an understanding that we have been forgiven much. So what what I've got to understand, and we need to understand this corporately this morning, is this: giving has nothing to do with keeping lights on. The lights are on, y'all. They're going to stay on, all right? Uh, giving has nothing to do with you having a comfortable, comfortable environment to worship in. And although it has bearing on it, it really even has nothing to do with our ability to do outreach. What it really comes down to is our giving is an indication of how thankful we are. Because we take what we value most, and listen, I don't know what you give your life for, but whether you like it or not, let me just clue you in. You are giving your life for money. You say, well, how, how do you say that? If you clock in eight hours a day, and maybe some of you clock in 12 hours a day, maybe some of you clock in 22 hours a day, I don't know. But you are literally giving your life away for something in exchange. And what most of us give our life a way to in our time is finances. So if I have been forgiven much, then I must come to this place where I value what he's done for me to the degree that I'm so thankful that it has some impact on what I value most. And yet, the average evangelical Christian in America gives $17 That is, can I be blunt? Pathetic. It is. What does that say? It doesn't say it to me. It says it to Jesus. We don't really value what you've done. And we're going to talk about the bare minimum next week, and we're going to set some standards that we should live up to. But I can just tell you from my own encounter with him, He's worth more than $17 a week to me. He's worth my everything. He is my everything. And if it costs me everything to follow him, I willingly lay it down at his feet because I've learned that I can trust him with my life. I can trust him with my future. I can trust him with my family. I can trust him with my savings. I can trust him with my retirement. I can, re I can trust him with all my possessions because he's trustworthy. And so I can trust him. So I want you to do this this morning. I want you to bow your heads in the first song. I just wonder if maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Steve, I have trust issues. I wonder if some of us in this room would say, you know what, I, I, in my past I, I, I tried to trust the Lord and, and what happened was I gave and then I saw people abuse 
what I gave and we insert their lack of integrity and make a conclusion that it was Jesus that treated what I gave like that. No, it wasn't. It was man. Our giving doesn't really have anything to do with trusting man. We're trusting in him. If you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I'll just be honest with you, just straight up honest. And, and, and I can claim otherwise, but if, if you pulled my giving statement, it would probably, it would, it would put me on blast. If, if you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I apparently, as I reflect over how I've given, it would be apparent I have trust issues. Nobody looking around, nobody looking around. This is between you and the Father, just me and you and the Father, because I understand if you're here and that's you, would you just say, I have trust issues. Would you just raise your hand? You can pull it right back down. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Yeah, there's one. Anybody else? Yeah, I have trust issues. I, I, I had everybody else trust him. So, Father, this morning I pray that as we embark upon a challenge to handle appropriately the thing that seems to grab our attention most in life, the thing that causes the most uneasiness, the thing that causes most tension in homes, the thing that causes most division in marriages, the thing that keeps us up at night, our finances. As we, as we embark upon just a few weeks of talking about this thing that, that invades itself into our thinking, into our conscience, and causes us to worry and fret and wonder how we're going to make ends meet. Father, I pray that you would launch us into this journey with an understanding of trust. We may not be able to trust every person we encounter. We may not even be able to trust people that call themselves followers of you. But we, I ask you to help us to come to the place this morning where together and, but more importantly, personally, we come to this place where the trust issue of our life is settled. And Father, I want to be the, the very first this morning to assert that you have been trustworthy. I, there, there's no doubt that you're trustworthy. You have proven that, that you will take care of our life. Over and over again, we've watched you insert yourselves into the middle of our lives, and you have shown yourselves to be trustworthy. You've been faithful to treat us properly. And I want to be the first to assert that we can trust you with our future. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who I trust, and he holds tomorrow. And so, Father, I pray that the trust level in us, those that raised their hand that said they have trust issues, those of us that, that are, if we were being honest and our, and our, uh, our, our giving statement would re reflect this, if, if we're struggling to trust you with what we value most, pray today that you'd bring us to the place where this woman was and our gratitude level would override our mistrust and our gratitude level would be so high that we would willingly lay down everything we value at your feet because you are trustworthy and we can trust you. We can trust you. We have seen you proven. You're, you are proven 
You have come through time and time again. Your word is chock full of promises about your trustworthiness, that you never forsake us, that you never turn your back on us, that you'll never let us fall, that you will never allow us to to go through more than we can handle with your power and authority in our life. So we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. We reassert our trust. And though some may trust in chariots, cars, and though some may trust in horses, retirement, savings, 401K, they may put all of their trust in that in a man-made stock market. We declare that we will trust the name of the Lord. You are worthy of our trust. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to address our trust issues so that we will come to the place that this woman came to and we will lay what is most valuable at your feet as an offering of thanksgiving and gratitude for what you've done. I ask you to help us, not so that we can get from people, but so that we can get to people the blessings that come in cheerful giving. I ask you to accomplish this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. This is what I want you to do. This is how we're going to end. I want you to testify. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, which was 98, 99% of you did not raise your hand and say, I have a trust issue, so that means you must trust him. Then if you trust him, you've probably seen him come through. So if that's you this morning, would you do this? Would you just lean over to your neighbor right now and just testify? Just like a 20-second testimony of how faithful he's been, how trustworthy he is. Maybe your testimony will push them over the edge to, so they can trust God with everything they value. Just real quickly, and then Tari's going to come and close, but he's going to give you 20 to 30 seconds to just testify of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his trustworthiness this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.